Today from the Global Lane, 4th of July presidential campaigning in full swing. Is America ready for a possible Donald Trump-Bobby Kennedy ticket? We're almost beyond Democrat versus Republican. We are now communism and globalism versus Americanism. They just don't want outsiders in the political machine. On the nation's 247th birthday, a look at America's Judeo-Christian roots, people in covenant with God. Israel, ancient and modern, and America are the only cases in history of a country being founded in dedication to an idea. Don't say mother or father. The latest effort to control language and thought on American college campuses. What they're trying to do here is erase the differences between what a man contributes to a child as a father and what a woman contributes to a child as a mother. And intentions made clear in New York City during Gay Pride Month. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. The 2024 presidential campaign season is already underway, with many candidates scheduled for a multitude of appearances over the 4th of July holiday. A Rasmussen poll out this week shows Donald Trump with a 49% approval rating, compared to Joe Biden at 46%. 49% of voters polled have a favorable opinion of Robert Kennedy Jr., and 34% of Democrats say they think he could win their party's presidential nomination. Well, joining us to share her thoughts is former Arizona gubernatorial candidate, former broadcaster Carrie Lake. She's just written and released her first book out this week, Unafraid, Just Getting Started. Carrie, it's good to talk with you. Steve Bannon said this week that Robert Kennedy Jr. would be an excellent choice as Donald Trump's vice presidential candidate. So what are your thoughts on that? Go with a Democrat? Well, I think it's funny, you know, it shows that we're really, we're almost beyond Democrat versus Republican. We are now communism and globalism versus Americanism. And I've been hearing the, uh, you know, fake news media attacking Robert Kennedy Jr., calling him a MAGA Democrat. I mean, they just don't want outsiders in the political machine. They don't want outsiders coming into the swamp and draining the swamp, whether they be outsiders who are Democrats or outsiders who are Republican. They want just the pre-approved, controllable, easily blackmailed, easily bribed people like Joe Biden and the whole swamp system down there. Uh, I think uh, Robert F. Kennedy has done amazing things. His book is incredible, exposing Dr. Fauci and the fraud that he is. And I think he's an incredible man. I don't believe with uh, in a lot of, of what he espouses. I think um, ideologically, politically, we have many differences. And I think that he and President Trump probably do as well. But I do believe that President Trump most likely respects RFK Jr. and vice versa. Well, that's because he's a, a anti-deep state. Uh, so now your name's been floated around. Would you accept the VP slot if offered to you? How open are you to that? Well, I'm open to saving our country. I got into this not because I wanted to get into the political machine. I walked away from my 30-year career at the top of my game, walked away from a seven-figure contract because I no longer recognized the field of journalism. It had become propaganda. And when I did that, the people of Arizona asked me to run for office. I talk about this in my new book as well. They asked me to run for office, and I jumped into the political fray and, and have led a movement in Arizona that is really spreading across the country. It's a movement of mama bears and papa bears, and I'm proud of that movement. 
I'm, I'm fighting for election reform in Arizona because if we don't reform our elections, it doesn't matter who runs. We've been putting great candidates out there. We've been putting exceptional policy. The other side is putting out, whether they be the uniparty rhinos or the Fettermans, Bidens, and Hobbs of the world, they're putting out junk candidates because they know how to rig the system. Go I ahead. might run for um, U.S. Senate in Arizona. I'm considering that. And I'll do anything I can to help President Trump. I want to see him win because I know he's the man who can turn this around. Well, it looks like Biden's campaign is going to focus on the economy. He says it's growing from the bottom up, but most Americans feel their standard of living has gone way down. So what do you think of that strategy? Um, I think basement Biden has sunk our economy into the depths of the basement and even below that. You know, leave it to somebody who can't even string a sentence together to uh, destroy our country. This is a, uh, a bought and paid for politician who was part of a rigged election sitting in the White House, owned by our enemies, the CCP, the communist regime in China, owned by the highest bidder. And the last people that he is willing to help and stand up for are the American people. And I think more and more people, including Democrats, are waking up to the nightmare of the Biden crime family. It's a depraved family. It's a corrupt family. And I think uh, everyone's ready to give him the boot as quick as possible from office. And of course, the open southern U.S. border and immigration was a major issue in your gubernatorial campaign. It's already a top issue for 2024. Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas suggests things are getting better at the border. So are they? What's happening? Oh, I think you should get to the border right away and take a look. It's not. This was the number one issue I ran on. I ran on uh, on re restoring order at the border in calling it what it is, a an invasion of our country, and taking our, um, our Article 1, Section 10, uh, Clause 3, obligation, really, truly, an obligation to our people to protect our people from an invasion. I have the most aggressive, bold border policy the country's ever seen. And they want our borders open. It's an invasion. This is how they're going to take down our country by pouring tens of millions of people in illegally. Many of them are criminals. Many of them are terrorists. And many of them uh, have their uh, allegiance in other countries. And this is a dangerous, dangerous time in our country. We've got fentanyl pouring across. They don't want people who are going to be tough on the border. And we're going to win. We're going to come back into office and we're going to make sure that we do secure our border, whether it be from the governor, the governor's office in Arizona, whether I end up running for Senate. We want to make sure we have a, a safe and secure country for all Americans. Okay. It's all in your book, Unafraid, Just Getting Started. Carrie Lake, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. God bless you. Likewise, thank you. 25 years ago, 70% of Americans said patriotism was an important part of who we are as a country. Since then, the percentage has fallen sharply. Now only 38% say patriotism is important to them. Why the steep decline? Fewer Americans can tell you what Americans believe, the principles and ideas that unite us as a nation. Our next guest says as we celebrate the country's 247th birthday, we should reflect on our Judeo-Christian heritage and how the Bible and Israel inspired the founding of our nation. Rabbi Meir Soloveitchik is author of the new book, Providence and Power, Ten Portraits and Jewish Statesmanship. Rabbi, it's good to have you with us. So we know our founding fathers rejected the tyranny of the British monarchy, but how and why did they embrace the biblical values of Israel? So I think one of the 
best ways of describing who we are is to see ourselves through the insightful eyes of non-Americans. Uh, obviously, one of the greatest works ever written uh, about America was written by a Frenchman, and that's uh, Democracy in America by Alexis de Tocqueville. Mm. But another insightful work was composed by a dear departed friend of mine, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, former chief rabbi of the United Kingdom. And, and he noted the following. He said, when he came to visit America for the first time in the 1960s, he visited uh, the memorials, uh, Jefferson Memorial uh, and the Lincoln Memorial. And what struck him is that aside from statues, images of the figures and founders in American history, there were also words, the ideas uh, that were inscribed behind them, the ideas that they gave to America and to the world. And what he said was, is that London has, has nothing like this. England had uh, a class and tradition-based society. There was no need to explain what it believed, because if you didn't know about it, you, you, you didn't belong. Uh, whereas America, he said, was inspired by the Bible to be a covenantal society. It was founded around a set of ideas and this is where the Bible comes in so profoundly, because as Rabbi Sachs put it, he said, Israel, ancient and modern, and America are the only cases in history of a country being founded in dedication to an idea. And that's why the founders looked first and foremost to the story of biblical Israel. And you, you highlight 10 leaders, statesmen who you feel best exemplify Jewish leadership from King David yes. and Queen Esther to David Ben-Gurion and Menachem Begin. So what admirable qualities did all of them share? So uh, at the heart of, of biblical statesmanship is a certain sense that even as a man or woman who is, who is reflecting greatness and leadership is truly achieving great things, what these leaders see is providence itself. Uh, I once asked a friend of mine, the great British historian, Andrew Roberts, uh, whether he could think of uh, a, a great European statesman uh, that was humble. And he didn't name any. Uh, Churchill believed in God, but as Andrew put it, in Churchill's theology, God's job was largely taking care of Winston Churchill. Whereas what's amazing about David is at the moment of his greatest brilliance in statecraft or in military achievements, he always sees the hand of God. Or as he famously says to Goliath, the God that saved me from the lion and from the bear. He, he will He will save me against you. Those of us familiar with the Torah, the Old Testament, and the history of the Jewish nation know that God brought judgment against the people when they took their eyes off of Him. When they embraced other gods, they fell into sin. So what is the lesson for America today from the example of these 10 Jewish leaders? And so what's incredible about the greatest of American statesmen is that they saw providence in greatest moments of in the greatest moments of success, and then also in the most serious of setbacks. Thus, Washington, after the victory that was the revolution, wrote an incredible letter, which I would recommend to your viewers, to the Jews of Savannah. If you Google Washington Savannah Jews, he compared uh, the miracles of the Exodus to what he saw as the miracles of the revolution. Both, of course, involved the victory of a tiny people against uh, what was then one of the most important and powerful empires on earth. But then we have another incredible example of American statesmanship, which is Lincoln, 
who gives what I think is the greatest speech in American history, which is the second inaugural. Uh, and there, yes, Lincoln is about to win the war, but what Lincoln doesn't do in, in this inaugural is revel in his victory. He doesn't get up there and say, as we might have expected someone today to say, USA, USA, USA. Rather, he says, this is, this is the great losses that we have experienced throughout the country is God's judgment. What, what do you want people to learn from the book? Well, uh, there's a few uh, different lessons I, I would like us uh, to learn uh, from the book. One is to see uh, what biblical statesmanship truly is. And you see that in great figures of faith like David and I believe of Menachem Begin. Uh, but you also see, and this is something I think your viewers will truly uh, understand, how uh, one of the other aspects of the story of the Jews is that even with, even in moments where uh, faith is not playing a central role, uh, the mysterious story of uh, the Jewish people uh, it becomes the greatest source of faith itself. All right. The book is Providence and Power, Ten Portraits in Jewish Statesmanship. Rabbi Mayor Soloveitchik, thank you for sharing your time and insights. We appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you so much for having me. Be careful about the words you use, especially on American college campuses. Students at Springfield College in Massachusetts are advised that instead of using the words father or mother, they should use the gender-neutral parent. Our next guest says this is all part of a leftist plan to use language to control thought. Adam Ellinger is a campus reform higher education fellow and professor of English at the University of Houston. Okay, Professor Ellinger, tell us more of this effort to stigmatize men, remove fathers from our language and culture. It's happening at other colleges and universities. So where else are the language police trying to control the words students use? What's happening? Well, uh, Leadership Institute's campus reform has reported this is also happening at Boston University, Kansas, University of Wisconsin at Madison, University of Massachusetts at Amherst. Um, so it's a broad effort to police language and thereby to police thought. Uh, what we saw at Springfield College is uh, the university issuing guidance to students um, in addition to uh, guidelines for pronoun usage, neo-pronouns, uh, they have advised that students stop using the terms mother and father in favor of the sexless or gender-neutral parent. Is it just only a few minor language adjustments here or there, or do you see an attempt to destroy the idea of traditional families? Uh, it's the latter, unfortunately. As an English professor, I know that language is the very medium of thought. And so to change the language that we use to describe reality, it change the, changes the way that we think of reality. And what they're trying to do here is erase the differences between what a man contributes to a child as a father and what a woman contributes to a child as a mother. And of course, those are two very different things, both of which a child needs to flourish. Uh, but in the interest of diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, so that no one who comes from alternative or different family structures feels bad, um, we are changing the way we talk uh, in an effort to erase the differences between these family structures.
Well, I'm sure that you as an English professor, you know that word choices change the ideas we communicate. So what impact has this had on student thought and attitudes? Well, unfortunately, I think that it, it denigrates the vocation of fatherhood and motherhood in our next generation of fathers and mothers. Um, these are vocations that our young people should be eager to, to take on one day. Um, and to pretend that there is nothing in particular that a young man or a young woman can contribute to their future children actually incentivizes um, them adopting these alternative family structures uh, in the future rather than the traditional structure of a mother and a father and a biological family. What other word uses, Adam, and changes concern you? I mean, we know some teachers and professors have been suspended. Uh, even fired for refusing to use gender-preferred pronouns. What other things? Well, we see this in a campaign really across the culture. Um, you know, uh, you think of um, some of the words that used to get used for people that we would have called handicapped 20 years ago. We now call them differently abled. Um, we see this in uh, the immigration question where years ago we might have called someone who illegally enters the country an illegal immigrant or an illegal alien. Now we call them undocumented workers. And these are all changes in rhetoric, subtle changes perhaps, but changes that are calibrated to produce an effect on our society that will push us inevitably towards a, a left culture. Almost like an Orwellian society uh, where truth no longer is truth. It seems like these language changes are becoming more common, not only on college campuses, but in our society as a whole, as you mentioned. So is it too late to reverse course what can be done? Uh, I think that the, the greatest thing can be done is to honor the truth. We know what the truth is with these things. This, these truths have been with us for thousands of years. And what's needed is a little bit of courage to hold fast to the truth and to speak it um, in the context of a society that wants to um, create small but sufferable penalties for doing so. Okay, I don't know about you, but I'm glad I had a mother and a father, not a them, or a genderless parent. All right, from the University of Houston Campus Reform Fellow, Professor Adam Ellwinger. Thank you for setting us straight today, Adam. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Gary. I've enjoyed it. Happy birthday, America. There's a lot to celebrate. So where are we 247 years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence? A lot is going on today that our founding fathers would have never imagined. Like a nation that marks the entire month of June to celebrate gay pride. Participants recently held a parade in New York City where they made it clear they're queer and they're coming for your children. Our first president would have swallowed his wooden teeth. No wonder parents are pushing back against gender fluidity instruction in public schools. Christians are standing up, not discriminating against gays, but against childhood indoctrination. They're also opposing unrestricted abortion. And for that, churches are under attack. The most recent, $100,000 in damages done to the Fowler's UMC Church in Anne Arundel County, Maryland. 
We don't know if the vandals acted simply out of anger against God or because the church had taken a moral stance on a controversial issue. The Family Research Council reports nearly 400 churches were attacked from January 2018 to September 2022. And incidents have skyrocketed in the first three months of this year, with 69 recorded attacks. That's three times more than during the first quarter of 2022. And it's not only attacks against Christians and their houses of worship that are on the rise. American Jews are experiencing increased acts of anti-Semitism. This week, members of a group calling themselves the Goyim Defense League unfurled Nazi flags in front of the Chabad Kab Synagogue in Marietta, Georgia. Worshippers were just starting services inside at the time. All of this hate, folks, this isn't what our founding fathers or millions of other Americans intended when they risked their lives to protect our freedom. Social media, political and economic pressures are causing us to lose our minds. We're quick to clobber someone if they frighten or offend us. Like 85-year-old Andrew Lester, who last April shot 16-year-old Ralph Yarrell, who mistakenly rang Lester's doorbell searching for his brother. Lester was charged with first-degree assault after people protested that shooting. And the good news? Ralph Yarrell is recovering physically. He's healed emotionally, insisting he will not allow the incident to define him or change the course of his life. I'm just a kid, I'm not larger than life because this happens to me. I'm just gonna keep doing all the stuff that makes me happy and just living my life the best I can, not let this bother me. No hate, no grudges, no bitterness. Bravo, Ralph, hold on to that faith. And let's remember, folks, man's justice may not come, but God's justice always prevails. And on this 4th of July holiday, set aside all the stress and cultural craziness. Enjoy a meal with family and friends. And thank God for our nation's freedom. Freedom bought and paid for by those who came before us. And the ultimate freedom that comes only from the Son who sets us free. And when we are set free by Him, we are free indeed. Well, that's it from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and on our B channel, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.